Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary from Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics, lawyer and early Trump supporter Doug Ibendahl, Robin Johnson, host of Heartland Politics from Quad Cities, Illinois and Monmouth College. And in our second hour, we'll be joined by Jan Murphy, the Capitol Bureau Chief for Penn Live, looking into the Pennsylvania primary this coming up. And also Eric Poole will be joining us. He is the editor of the Sharon Herald, also keeping an eye on what's happening in western Pennsylvania. And Charlie Thompson rounds out our Pennsylvania coverage tonight. He is with the Patriot News, also out of Harrisburg. Uh, our program tonight coming to you, of course, from our home base, beautiful WYND AM 560 in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. A general discussion of what's happening in the world of politics in hour number one. And then in the second hour, we'll focus on uh, some of the primaries coming up, uh, most notably in the uh, uh, Keystone uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, Gentlemen, welcome to the program this evening. Uh, so often um, on these programs over the last 40-plus years, uh, we begin on sort of a down note because there's been some tragedy uh, in the United States, certainly within the last 48 hours, uh, the shooting in Buffalo, New York, of this 18-year-old uh, 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 young man. And uh, my, my reaction is traditionally uh, in the wake of a shooting like this, there is some speculation as to what the motivation might have been and the news media uh, either with or without evidence from time to time they try to take it uh, down a road that fits the you know that fits their narrative but i want to begin tonight because the the facts in this particular case uh there's over a 100 page uh, a racist uh, 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 memo that's been written or manifesto i should say and it's very anti-semitic and uh Tom, uh, as, as the closest thing to uh, a, a working journalist uh, that's on the program this evening with Real Clear Politics, being its, <laughs> being its co-founder, um, what impact, if, if all at all, will this, again, another tragedy might it have uh, on the broader body, body politic, given the fact that we, we sort of know a, uh, maybe his, his, his MO and his, his goal here? Yeah, I mean, again, as you said, it's a tragedy, and these are occurring all too often in in our, our society. And um, you know, as far as political impact, I suspect it'll it'll have you know little to none. I mean, certainly for a period of time, there will be a lot of discussion about gun control and how he this this individual who was apparently interviewed had had threatened to shoot up a school and was interviewed, uh, given a mental health interview, still managed to get. Uh, firearms, including the AR-15 mm -hmm. that he used. And so um, I, I suspect there'll be, you know, more calls for gun control. Um, but we've, we've obviously, we've, we've lived through this movie in the past. We know how it ends. It ends with nothing really getting done legislatively, even when Democrats had uh, control of the House and the Senate uh, after the Sandy Hook uh, shooting mm -hmm. could not get uh, leg legislation, gun control legislation passed because there were a few Democrats who wouldn't be on board or, or weren't on board. So, um, and with the majorities that they have in both the House and the Senate, too slim to really do anything from a from a federal standpoint. So, I suspect we'll go through the same process. Yep. There'll be a lot of commentary and, and grieving about it, and then we'll 
you know, politically, we'll move on. The new governor of uh, New York, uh, Governor Hochul, she was on the show, many of the shows today. Uh, she is a native of the Buffalo area, so she knew, allegedly, some of the uh, the people that had been shot. And Robin Johnson, my question to you is, uh, she rather quickly, she just didn't go knee-jerk to the, uh, to the gun control issue. She expanded it out on whether or not uh, social media has a greater responsibility uh, to search out and look for uh, racist opinions and do something to stop them uh, so they don't manifest themselves in this violent way. Uh, is, is that, given the fact that everyone's sort of thinking about social media and, and free speech and things of this nature and censorship, is, is that another potential issue that could spin out of this uh, tragedy in Buffalo? Yeah, I think so. I think th there's going to be a lot of hard questions asked. I agree with Tom in the end. I'm not sure anything substantive is going to be done. Uh, the, each camp is going to go, uh, Democrats, progressives will go to the left and talk about gun control. Uh, there'll be talk in both sides, perhaps a little bit about social media. I still think the, the, um, uh, the, the violence in video games and all, I hate to go back to Tipper Gore, but I think the violence in entertainment video games is something that needs to be looked at as well. And But there again, you have uh, people, uh, First Amendment supporters that are opposed to that. So I think there'll be a lot of talking about this, but I doubt that much will be done. Uh, Doug, is there anything we know about this case early on that you think might have a different result than Tom and Robin have suggested? Well, the MSNBC, CNN, you know, the what I would call the fake news is going to exploit it because uh, the perpetrator in this case is, is white. And uh, so he'll be branded as a white supremacist, which he probably sounds like he probably yeah, is. Um, I will say those, are, those instances seem kind of rare. But I, I don't think this is really a gun issue as much as it is a mental health issue. I mean, this this kid is obviously a nut job. Uh, he joins other nut jobs who've... Uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just take a gun to kill a lot of people. Remember uh, the story that faded away pretty quickly because it didn't fit the uh, the left's narrative was the, uh, remember Waukesha, Wisconsin, right. back in November, the holiday parade that the car uh, or SUV rammed through killed, uh, I forget how many injured, uh, you know, scores, I believe. Uh, you know, the New York subway shooting just uh, very recently, 10 wounded, thankfully all of them lived. But this is an ongoing problem, and these people are all, uh, these people are, I mean, let's face it, they are they have major mental health problems, and it's... But, uh, in, the, but, in, those media, but in those cases that you just mentioned, I mean, there was a, whether it was uh, motivated or not, there was a racial component. I mean, the situation in New York, uh, the perpetrator, alleged perpetrator, was black. Most of the victims were, uh, were Caucasian. Uh, and so we're getting into at least the three that you mentioned. We're getting into a racial component that usually the media has tried to shy away from. Are, are we going to see the media less willing to to dive into that, Tom, or are they going to still uh, be at arm's length? No, I think. Look, the media um, loves to to focus on race um, because it it drives a certain narrative. It generates. Uh, clicks, particularly among, uh, you, you know, progressives. And so, I mean, you think back to the to the shooting uh, in Atlanta, the massage parlor, the young kid there, mm -hmm. 
you know, they immediately jumped to this narrative that it was a hate crime against Asian Americans. It turns out it was actually nothing of the sort. But nevertheless, we were treated to wall to wall coverage about uh, hate crimes against Asian Americans and and this as as this terrible scourge uh, among, you know, from from white people. When, in fact, if you look at the data um, and a lot of the hate crimes that have taken place against Mm -hmm. Asian Americans have come from African-Americans. And so uh, the media, again, loves to focus on this. And I think they they certainly will uh, in this case because it fits the preconceived narrative that, you know, the president himself rushed out to say that, you know, white supremacists, uh, white supremacists, right. And white nationalism is the biggest national security threat facing right. America. I mean, that is the Democrats' line. That's a progressive's line. We've got to pause. And, and so they could use this to, to sort of feed into that particularly we've in got the a, We've got to pause. I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly from Beyond the Belly. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. 
Rooster Montpac, we continue with Beyond the Beltway. Uh, in the case of uh, the, the massacre in Buffalo, New York, uh, the, the perpetrator here chose uh, to, to live stream it. And uh, it, is that an area, Doug Ibendahl, that you think needs to be policed by some authority somewhere that people should not, that that is not a right that goes to people who have uh, the Internet? Where do you where do where does your censorship come in on something like that? Well, I I, I do think that I think in this case also I, I believe that uh, I don't really know if you can do much proactively, but once it starts, I I, I think the platforms uh, remove that as quickly as they can. I, I do think that that's appropriate. Tom, is there any way to be more preemptive than uh, what everybody attempted to do yesterday? I don't think so. I mean, according to Twitch, which was a service that w it was live streamed on, they shut it down after a minute or two, which which seems like it's, you know, they were moving pretty quickly. Yeah. We've seen other instances like this with Facebook Live where crimes were being committed and live streamed. Um, and I think uh, I think everybody agrees that that, uh, you know, to the extent that those can be stopped immediately, they can. But it's, it's hard to do anything to Doug's point ahead of time. I mean, it's like pre-crime. You can't you know, mm -hmm. you can't anticipate. Uh, when something like that is going to happen, do you do? Does anybody know, Robin? Do you know? Is that is that something that is monitored uh, in some electronic way, or are there uh, real live human beings that are listening in and making these decisions? Do you do, do you know? Does anybody know the the depth of how this is done technically? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I I couldn't answer that, Bruce. I I just feel though that. The rhetoric on both sides has become so heated that I, I'm concerned that people are, are being incited to take these actions. And I, I, that's what concerns me as well, that our rhetoric is getting way too overheated on both sides uh, of the partisan divide. And I understand we've, our country's got a long history of, of robust campaigning and language, but uh, we're, really, we're really taking it uh, right up to the line and perhaps a little bit over the edge that we're going to have to um, I'm not sure how we address that, but you're hoping for more responsibility there. Is there a situation when we're dealing with race-related issues? And obviously, in this particular case, I, I've not read the 100-page manifesto, but I'd like to get into it because I'm sure it has uh, quite a bit of uh, interesting uh, conversation in there. But, but my question is, if someone thinks that way, uh, that falls under the First Amendment. They have the right to think that way. And then the next question is, do they have the right to take that speech and put it online or, uh, you know, available in a streaming way? And in other words, at what point does someone's uh, twisted uh, definition or definitions of society, uh, how far can you go with that using the new technologies, Doug? I mean, you've said in the history oh, no, of the show, you, you Doug, can't. you've said some outrageous things, n nothing nothing to the pale that we're talking about here. And I've had people call up and say, well, why do you have Doug Ibendahl on? He doesn't represent me. Well, well God bless <laughs> you. He doesn't represent you, but that's okay. You've been on the air for, for 25 years with me. So my question to you is, at, at some point, uh, does somebody have to be more aggressive in uh, somehow bringing down uh, those thoughts, or by trying to suppress that thought, does it only drive it further underground 
and does it someday perhaps lead to the type of devastation we saw in Buffalo? The suppression leads to the no, no, aggression. No. The, the 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 answer to hate speech is 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 more speech and is better speech is to call out these uh, the nut jobs, call out the hate. Uh, but no, we we don't in America. I mean, some other European countries are different, but in America, we do not uh, censor speech. I mean, consider. I mean, you can you can buy you can go into a store. Maybe not every bookstore, but you certainly get it online or some bookstores. You can buy Hitler's Mein Kampf, mm -hmm. um, you know. So you know, unless you know, unless this guy, I, I don't think any of us have read the uh, the uh, this guy's manifesto. Probably have no desire to. Better things to do with our time. But um, I mean, unless he's uh, unless he was advocating uh, specifically advocating violence, you know, it's a in 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 America with our First Amendment. It's it's uh, well, he was. He it takes want, a lot to get over that line. Race, where he wanted a race war, according to the way it's been reported speech. thus far. He wanted he wanted to promote a race war. Now, again, uh, promoting a race war, uh, it seems to me that you're going to you're going to very quickly move into some areas that uh, maybe somebody should be listening in and saying, "Wait, you can't you can't go that direction." Can I can I say one, one, one quick follow up on that? Sure. Um, I, obviously, that's that's a that's a nutty thing. That's you know that's. Uh, that's nobody should be doing that but consider i, I think that the you know the, the those the, those kind of nut jobs i think are a small small group consider if we define a, a mass shooting which i think is the nor is the usual way as four people uh wounded or killed in the same incident just a few days ago in the city of chicago right. there were three mass shootings within a 24-hour period Almost nobody is talking about that. I mean, you, if you do a simple Google, you'll find it. I actually posted an NBC story on my Facebook page uh, today. Um, but there were there were three mass shootings in Chicago within a 24-hour period. It gets almost no notice. Why? Because it doesn't have this, you know, this uh, this component. They're probably more, you know, most likely are probably, you know, gang members shooting each other. Oh well, that's not even news anymore. Uh, Tom, your reaction. Well, I, I agree with Doug. I mean, unless he was, you know, specifically advocating some sort of violence, uh, some call to violence, it's difficult to, to you know, censor or suppress that speech. But mm -hmm. it does sort of fit into the broader discussion of censorship that we've had. And, you know, these these platforms are all private, uh, like, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and the like. Mm -hmm. And they can obviously, uh, you know, they can do what they want regarding speech. And that's why we've seen Elon Musk step up and, and be a defender of free speech and said, listen, mm -hmm. when, when, when there are judgment calls to be made, when we're in a gray area, he's going to err on the side of, of free speech, letting things stand. Because in his opinion and the opinion of, I think, many other people in the country, um, you know, Twitter and some of these other platforms had overstepped their bounds and were censoring things that were completely unobjectionable opinions that did not advocate any mm -hmm. sort of violence and just basically, you know, had a, had a difference of, of opinion, a difference, uh, you know, and shutting down debate. And so um, I think it, it fits into that, that narrative, but unless, unless someone's specifically advocating an act of violence or calling, inciting violence, inciting others to, to uh, commit acts of violence, you know, uh, they should be allowed to say it. And, and I agree again with Doug, you know, the answer to the answer to hate speech isn't, to, you know, more censorship, it's it's more speech. Well, if it isn't, I mean, I, I, let's let's step beyond hate speech and just say, uh, does the public really have a right to know? Does the public really have a right to know everything? 
And as someone who is, you, you, Tom, are one of the major gatekeepers of political information in this country. I mean, you and your co-partner, years ago, you came up with this idea for Real Clear, Real Clear Politics. I mean, it has been immensely successful. Uh, it's, a, it's a brand that has given you great, uh, uh, hopefully, some, 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 some wealth, but certainly great fame. But my question to you is, from time to time, in, in doing the, uh, the research and doing the aggregating of information that comes to you to decide whether or not you're going to put it on the Real Clear Politics feed, I would assume that more than once you have to think twice or three or four times as to whether or not you're going to print another person's opinion or on this program repeat a you know, rumor and innuendo as we've been doing for 30 years. Uh, how often does that, does that happen? In in the real world, because I think you are a trusted, uh, personally and uh, as a product, I think you're you're a tr you're a trusted source. But again, even a trusted source, I would assume, has got to, you know, turn the other cheek or put your head in the sand or react in a in a different way from time to time. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and and we do encounter that from time to time. I mean, start by saying. We do things the old-fashioned way, that we don't use algorithms. We read everything that's put on our page. It is wow. seen and read by an editor at Real Clear Politics. And, and so that, you know, we, have, we have humans making these kinds of judgment calls. And by and large, our attitude is, is you know, we're trying to foster an environment on the page that is inclusive of all sorts of opinions, from the left, from the right. From the middle, mm -hmm. uh, you know, social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, fiscal liberals. I mean, across you know, all sorts of, of topic uh, areas and issues. And but but part of what we train our editors to do, and and what we do is, we you know, we don't try and go for the the you know easy clickbait you know red meat stuff from uh -huh. the left or the right. And so that's why you know if if you're looking, there are certain you know, authors that we just, we simply won't run because of they're so inflammatory. I mean, they literally, that's all they do is try and incite, uh, you know, sort of partisan outrage with their, with their commentary. And so we tend to avoid that stuff. doesn't mean we're not, we're also trying, you know, we try and balance that with, with making a page that's interesting, that has interesting and provocative opinions. Mm -hmm. We don't want stuff that is just so generic and vanilla that, that nobody wants to read any of these opinions because they're all just the conventional wisdom. So it's a balancing act and we do it every day. But, you know, it's, it's rare where we will um, and, and we'll also if there's a question of an article, we're like, eh, you know, personally, uh, I don't know if that's, the, you know, is that right for the page? We'll circulate it around and get second and third opinions from other editors and, and we'll work off the consensus. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how we do it in our little corner of the Internet. Um, but but certainly these are the kind of judgment calls that are being made by by, you know, all these platforms all across the, the Web. When we come back, I want to talk about some other issues that are out there in the body politic and issues that will define what is happening politically in the country uh, between now and uh, November. And uh, one place I want to get back to is uh, uh, Robin Johnson, who is, uh, he, he lives in Illinois, but he uh, keeps an eye on what's happening in Iowa. A lot of people are trying to steal the thunder from Iowa, and we'll let Robin take a crack at that when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. 
It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we're going to take a moment now and let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves. And uh, we're going to start with, uh, we'll start with you, Doug. Uh, Go ahead. Tell everybody who you are when you're not on the air uh, pontificating and promoting Donald Trump, which, by the way, for the for those people that have never seen you before, you were the earliest Trumper that I know. I mean, long before he would, I think he had just stepped off the escalator when you were out there waving your flag. So tell everybody a little bit more about what you do when you're not doing that. I mean, uh, I'm a lawyer in Chicago. Uh, I have been... Uh, uh, University of Illinois, class of 95. I was a bank examiner for the Federal Reserve before that. Uh, yeah, a proud uh, uh, Trump supporter. If he uh, runs in 2024, I am, uh, 
I'm, 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 I'm definitely in. But right now I'm in the small town of, uh, actually at my mom's house, the small town of uh, Nashville, Illinois, 300 miles <clears throat> south of uh, Chicago, which actually, just real quick, little quick trivia, which is sort of timely. Yes. I was born in a hospital here in this little town, yeah. six blocks from where I'm sitting. The author of Roe versus Wade was born in a house. Uh, Harry Blackman <laughs> was born in this town. His mother's family owned the grain mill here. Wow, very interesting. Uh, question, have you ever met Donald Trump? Yeah, I did. I, I met him at a, yeah, just a, a, a grip and grin kind of thing. Does he, does, does he know, just between the two of us, does he know what a huge supporter you have been for him on the air for, you know, eight years now? Does he know that? Well, you know, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but you may or may not well, recall I, in the 2016 primary, I wrote a, uh, an yes. article in defense of him when the, uh, when, when the conservatives were trying to, the conservative establishment, so-called, was trying to take him down early in the 2016 primary. I wrote a article standing up for him. He actually read that at three, at three rallies. <laughs> well, good. Well, I hope that... Uh... You get a chance to meet him someday. Tom Bevan, what about you? Have you ever met Donald Trump? I have. I actually interviewed okay. him at Mar-a-Lago last September. Okay. Um, and talked to him about, uh, you know, his time after office and tried to get a sense of, of <laughs> what he was going to do. Um, so it was uh, it was uh, about an hour session. Uh, did he just me and him you? and his assistant. Did he schmooze and, uh, you? Did he schmooze you know, you? he was very gracious and, uh, you know, came in and chatted a little bit about golf, which was his favorite subject. Talked about Mar-a-Lago, what a great place it was, <laughs> all of that. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't think I got him to break any news. He, you know, interviewing Donald Trump is kind of like writing a, you know, verbal bucking bronco. You, you know, you ask him a question and, and off he goes and then you try and, you know, ask the question again and see if you can get him to answer it. And uh, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But I, I, I was interested to know because one of the things that I wanted, and he's been asked, you know, 50 ways to Sunday, is he going to run again or not? Yeah. And I wanted to ask him that question, but without asking the same way everyone else had asked right. it to see if I could get some sort of different response. And I said, so I said, listen, you know, you're, you're way ahead in all the Republican primary polls. The, the nomination is basically yours if you want it. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure that we've seen anyone, at least in modern history, who, who's been in this kind of position. I said, so give me one reason you wouldn't do it. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that if it's all right there for you? And he kind of paused. He said, well, you know, it could be health. Uh, he said, you know, you, you never know. You go to the doctor one day and, oh, and right. that's that. Um, but he said he still loves the country. Obviously, he feels uh, in his mind, that that the election was stolen from him, that there's a, a historical wrong to be righted. So, um, but I, my question for Doug though is, if Donald Trump doesn't run, then then who would a hardcore Trump supporter like you end up supporting? Who would be your your favorite candidate? Well, I, I don't know. We have to we have to see. I mean, that's why we have primaries. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I would be open minded. I would be open minded. I, obviously, I would be interested in who. You know, Donald, I assume Donald Trump would have an opinion on I'll that. I'll follow up to you, and then I want to go to Robin. I want to go to Robin, but I want to ask one follow. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. goes, he, he goes around the country a lot. He's been spending a lot of time in Ohio and in Pennsylvania trying to prop up those endorsements there. Uh, is he a serious candidate for some future office like president or U.S. Senate in your view, Doug, or is he just always going to be the kid, 
the junior boy. I, I think he'd be a serious candidate. I don't have anything against him. I do think sometimes he tries too hard. I mean, he's got, you know, he's a big <clears throat> shadow there, big shoes to fill. I, 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 I don't think it, it would not be a lock by any means. Okay. Let's go to uh, Robin Johnson. Robin, first of all, let's spend uh, 20, 30 seconds having you uh, elaborate on, on what you do when you're not uh, teaching classes at Monmouth College in politics. Yeah, I teach part-time at Monmouth College uh, in political science department. I've taught there since 2000. And uh, I also host a podcast on WVIK Public Radio in the Quad Cities called Heartland Politics. I've done that since 2014. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually had Tom Bevan as a guest and you, Bruce. Uh, yes. You've both been on my show. It was back uh, probably when it was run out of Burlington. Right. And you were both guests. Sure, previously. right. Well, you've been our you've been our man in Iowa for for quite some time, and again, uh, you have also been kind uh, every four years to invite me uh, to to join you in your class at the caucuses. So I've really enjoyed that. Now, the question is, yeah. is there going to be another caucus, or have we seen the last Iowa caucus, at least the last Iowa caucus of substance, Robin? Well, we were there, uh, as you recall, <clears throat> Bruce, during that debacle last time when uh, the the the, the the app didn't work and uh, they, they wound up uh, not having results for a couple days. That came on top of uh, accusations that the 2016 caucuses were cooked on behalf of uh, Hillary Clinton and the, de the debacle in 2012 uh, between Romney and Santorum. So the skepticism is, is, is deserved and Iowa needs to do a better job if they want to keep this spot. Now, I think I think that there is a case to be made of taking it away. However, it's it's more what's going to replace it. Uh, you've got four states lined up early, uh, sm four smaller states: South Carolina, New Hampshire, Nevada, and Iowa. A mix of primaries and caucuses. They're in different regions of the country, and the question is: if you take Iowa away, what state would replace it? Uh, Iowa's in the Midwest. It's uh, gone first. It's the first caucus. I think the other key issue is what are the parties going to think, and especially the presidential candidates. Uh, I've read where Donald Trump and Doug may know this better than I. Uh, Donald Trump has said he wants to keep Iowa first in the nation. Uh, the parties have to have to buy into this at some mm -hmm. point to make it work. So I would think that uh, if there is a threat to remove Iowa's first in the nation, uh, <clears throat> it's going to have to be vetted by both parties as well. So well, Illinois, tell me Illinois is pushing. Safe. Illinois is pushing it, it, the Governor Pritzker in Illinois is is pushing hard for the Democrats uh, to uh, uh, to move uh, the Illinois primary up and also uh, uh, to, uh, to to anoint us with the Democratic convention. Uh, so I don't know where that's going. Well, to. Tom, do you want to weigh in on this? I, I mean, I go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think Illinois is probably too big <clears throat> again in comparison with the other three states early, but. Uh, um, I, you know, I so I again, my guess would be Iowa keeps this, but they're going to have to get their act together as far as an accurate way of tallying and reporting the votes. Uh, Tom, In does Iowa deserve another chance? I mean, they, they've blown it so badly. I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, seriously, they have blown it should... badly repeatedly. It makes you wonder, well, you know, what's what's once. going on out there, why they can't seem to just count the votes, uh, in, well, that... in a timely fashion. So I mean, I, I generally agree with Robin, though. I mean, it, you know, we've had this, we've seen this before where the states are trying to, you know, trying to move up and then the parties will sanction them and basically say, take away, you know, strip away half their floor delegates or whatever yeah. in an effort to try and protect the, the status quo. Um, 
And so I, I'm not sure there's enough momentum just yet. Um, it's possible, though. Uh, look, anything is possible. And I do think, you know, Democrats, they do chafe at the idea that the first two states are almost exclusively white. And, you know, but that's also balanced with the idea that, that you know, you, you have to actually get out there and, and, you know, do retail politics and sit in living rooms mm-hmm. and go to farms and, and do the kind of things that, but New that Jersey uh, wants to really do, that. do test candidates. New Jersey wants to do that, right? New Jersey, and, and I think I thought it was North Carolina, and maybe it might have been South Carolina. But I understand there's some other states that make a case, certainly Nevada, uh, they've, been, they've been elbowing their way into this process for you know, a couple of cycles now. So uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, but if you were a betting man right now, Robin, and I know on your collegiate salary you could bet big, my question to you would be, <laughs> do you think Iowa remains first in the nation as a caucus? <clears throat> yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to make that bet? I guess not. No, I think they will too. I mean, in theory, they're in, in theory the Republicans could still keep it first. They yeah. don't. I mean, they don't have to go with this. The two parties don't, wouldn't have to go at the same time. Right. And what about the decision uh, by the Republicans uh, not to participate in debates uh, sponsored by uh, uh, the National Commission on Debates? Is that uh, uh, what, what's behind that story, Tom? Well, I mean, it's just I think it was a shot across the bow. I mean, you know, Republicans are are tired of, uh, you know, in their in their perception, um, being having having moderators who are liberals or Democrat sort of supporters. I I think it's more of an acute issue in the primary when you have people like George Stephanopoulos and Chuck Todd and others moderating, you know, Republican primary debates. And that seems just kind of kind of I, I, I understand where Republicans come from and, and uh, sort of chafing at that idea. And, we, and we've seen how that's worked out in the past, you know, with John Harwood and the CNBC debate and, and, and other things. Um, as far as the presidential debate, you know, commission goes, uh, I think they're going to rethink that. I, I don't know. I, I suspect because it is the one and really you know, biggest opportunity for for candidates to to say their piece and make their case to the American people, mm-hmm. even though the ratings have been shrinking, it's still you know they get uh, they get an opportunity. I wouldn't mind you know pushing to reform those. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, here's one way to reform it. One or... way to reform it is to let real clear politics do it. Let them be there in charge. Go. Let them be in charge of it. Uh, you'll make a deal with the network to put it on the air. But uh, your journalistic integrity, uh, which people don't doubt. Uh, That should be the core of it. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. <clears throat> Bruce Dumont back before we uh, go to calls and uh, more questions and comments from our guests. Uh, I want to remind you that in the second hour of this evening, we're going to be talking about uh, the upcoming primary in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and we'll be having uh, three experts who cover uh, Keystone politics. They'll be with us uh, in the second hour. And again, uh, you know, we have a hotly contested uh, primary for Republican governor uh, primary uh, in Illinois, as uh, some of you have read. We don't talk too much about it. We try to shy away from uh, too many Illinois-centric things. But next week on this program, uh, I will introduce to you and to our listeners uh, one of the leading candidates uh, in the Republican gubernatorial primary, Darren Bailey, uh, a lawmaker from Springfield, Illinois, uh, will be joining us next week for one full hour just Darren Bailey and yours truly, and we'll be talking about all kinds of national politics as well as some local politics. But we'll be introducing you to him because uh, I think having watched all the TV commercials, uh, I don't know who to believe about. Everyone is pointing fingers at everybody else, so I'm not quite sure what everybody is up to. But next week, we'll find out what uh, Darren Bailey is up to. Um, let's go to calls. Uh, Doug is listening to us way out in the Pacific Northwest. Go ahead, uh, Doug. You're on the air. Dave, rather. I'm sorry. Sorry. Hey, this is Dave. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the big issues <clears throat> that people have in general, I believe, is the just disproportionate uh, application of whether it's free speech or just the application of the laws of the land. Um, when you see, for example, Lori Lightfoot from Illinois, she recently put out a tweet saying, you know, to all my LGBTQ uh, brethren, uh, the Supreme Court's coming for us. This is, has to be a call to arms. 
And uh, on many other occasions, anyone mentioning the word arms, a call to arms uh, from the, you know, the conservative side, that would be seen as, oh, my God, it's a hate speech. They're looking for an insurrection. Um, I mean, just the, the hypocrisy with the way uh, the application goes, whether it's a 2020 summer, these are all mostly peaceful protests as you see fires burning in the background and business being looted. And then you see January 6th, where a very small percentage of the people that were there overall even entered the Capitol, and a good percentage of them were just taking pictures. Uh, and some of them were even allowed into the building by security guards themselves. They didn't break in. All of them weren't trying to barge in. You know, primary, uh, you know, Dave, Dave, it shouldn't be inter- for interrupting, uh, as you may have gathered, because we don't spend a lot, a lot of time talking about it. I think what happened on January 6th, I think the die is set. Uh, if you're going to vote in a Republican primary or if you're going to vote in the general election later this year, you have already decided based on what you saw with your own eyes on January 6th. Yep. I mean, I, you know, I agree. God bless the investigations into trying to pinpoint things. I, I, I support, uh, you know, long term investigations about things that happened a long time ago because I think the public yep. has a right to know. But in this particular case, from a political standpoint, I think the die is cast and uh, uh, you're you're going to support those my, that, my that support abortion. Just about that, though, Bruce, it's not that specific case. It's the in general <clears throat> misapplication of on one side we say it's, you know, this harsh issue, on another side we'll make light of it in the media. Uh, and a real quick historical example I'd like to give on the, the idea of why free speech is so important mm-hmm. is that you know, Albert Einstein referred to Galileo as the father of modern-day science, and actually a lot of what Galileo put together is what people like Elon Musk use today for space travel and NASA satellites. It's mm-hmm. much of what we use in modern-day science. Well, Galileo for explaining to people mathematically and science and scientifically why the Earth and all the planets revolve around the sun and how orbit works, as opposed to everything mm. revolving around the Earth, which was the common sense uh, idea back then, as everybody mm. believed. Okay. He was tried for heresy, and then he was convicted, forced to recant most of his life's work, and live the final years of his life under house arrest, all for spreading what back then was considered misinformation by what would be considered the mainstream thought, what turned out to be all that he was spreading was factual truth. And we've seen that repeated nowadays with COVID misinformation that turned out to be the truth on masks, on the vaccine mandates, and, you know, where the the virus came from. You've seen it all kind of the Hunter Biden issue leading up to the election, which I believe was... Dave, 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 take a breath. We have to pause. Okay? When you call, I mean, it's like you've waited the whole week to get this on, and and you don't let anybody even respond to it. So, Robin, pick any of those fifteen things that uh, that Dave just referenced. I'd I'd like to get back into from a professorial side, from the academic side. What is your general impression over the last, let's say, three years, as to how the American people and academia uh, has been informed on the issue of the pandemic? by government sources. Do they get an A? Do they get an F? Where, where would you put them uh, if you were grading them on their, their competence of communication? Are you, I, I'm not sure I understand the question. It's for you. Uh, you're asking me to grade <clears throat> academia? No, I'm asking you to, to grade the, the, the government information as it's been you know, spread out to the general public. And you can start with White House briefings and uh, Dr. Fauci and everything else, what would be the overall grade you would give the government okay. on communicating with the people just about COVID? I think I'd give them a B. I think they made mistakes. 
but I think overall they were facing a situation that was unprecedented in our lifetimes. And uh, I think overall I'd give them a B, good mark. It wasn't an A, certainly, but I, uh, I, it, I, I, I'd give them a good grade at this point. Yeah. Would you give them a good grade, Doug? Decent, I suppose. Yeah. A decent grade. Okay. So you're not you're not too upset, Tom. What would you? Uh, how would you, uh, you? You've offered your opinion on this, but uh, uh, were we too uh, harsh I, in criticizing government? Uh, listen, I acknowledging that we were facing sort of this crisis situation um, and a once in a century pandemic, and there's a whole fog of war aspect to this as we were trying to get up to speed on exactly what this virus, you know, was and and how it replicated and all of those things. You know, I, I, I do think um, looking back that grave mistakes were made. I mean, grave mistakes. And and the government, I think, in you can point to examples of of real, in my opinion, um, not just negligence, but but ten seconds really left, really damning uh, things about school shutdowns <clears throat> and the way they worked with the teachers unions on that. Uh, the CDC was was in particular, I think, really really bad. The way that we locked in the economy, the, the amount of damage that was done, particularly to the kids, I think, uh, we've got a, is, we're going to look back on. We've and, got to pause. You know, regret it. Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics. Doug Ibendahl and Robin Johnson from Heartland Politics. I'm Bruce Dumont. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for being with us uh, on Beyond the Beltway. In our second hour, we're going to be uh, talking about what's, uh, what's happening in the state of Pennsylvania, of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, this coming Tuesday, and uh, joining us to share their thoughts and uh, uh, reporting expertise, we have Jan Murphy. She is with uh, PennLive.com. That's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the Patriot News, where she's also the Capitol Bureau Chief. Charlie Thompson also works for PennLive uh, out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He's been doing it for quite some time. And Eric Poole joins us from the Sharon Herald in Sharon, Pennsylvania, our affiliate in uh, Western Pennsylvania. Thank you all all for joining us this evening. There is a hotly contested uh, a gubernatorial primary and a U.S. Senate primary. There's activities both with the Republicans and the Democrats, and uh, there's always lots going on in Pennsylvania, and um, it looks like it's going to be uh, quite a barn burner coming up on, on Tuesday. So I, I want to be, begin with a sort of a general uh, question for all of you, and I'll let you tackle it first, Jan. Uh, like it must have been 20, 25 years ago, uh, James Carville, who was a political advisor to Bill Clinton, once upon a time described Pennsylvania in, in a not-so-complimentary way, uh, referring to the suburbs of Pittsburgh and the suburbs of Pennsylvania, and in the middle of all that is the state of Alabama. And I understand that uh, political operatives in the state have been trying to erase that for quite some time. So my question to you is, uh, if I were to ask you to define the state, um, it wouldn't be, I would guess, in as pejorative a way as James Carville might have described it. But uh, how would you describe it? And I want uh, Charlie and uh, Eric to weigh in as well. Oh, I think I would call it a purple state. Um, our our eastern part is <clears throat> is you know, I'm not. It's very is democratic, and mm -hmm. our western part. Because I think when Carville said that, he was thinking of kind of, if you would put a T on Pennsylvania, that that area was, you know, Republican right. and solid Republican. And, you know, it it really still is. <laughs> and, in fact, I, I feel that the western part of the state is um, still solidly, or it has grown to be more Republican. Mm -hmm. um, there definitely are some Democratic spots. But, yeah, the eastern part of the state is, uh, where that's 
that's where our population is, and, mm -hmm. and that's where our, our Democrats uh, predominantly are. And Harrisburg, uh, Charlie, to you, uh, you, uh, you hail from uh, Harrisburg. Uh, where would Harrisburg fall? Is it, is it literally a split in party? It is the state capital, so you've got uh, both parties showing up there. But uh, politically, when, when uh, uh, the folks from Harrisburg go to vote, uh, which primary do they generally interest, uh, involve themselves with? Well, in, um, in our coverage area, which is really south-central Pennsylvania, um, it's, uh, it, it's still a major um, focus point for the Republican Party. Um, I think, uh, as Jen mentioned, the southwestern part of the state has been trending Republican over the last generation. And um, if, if, if you would have asked me this, 10 or 15 years ago, I would have said, I would have said because we've looked at the numbers, the eight counties that kind of make up South Central Pennsylvania, which mm -hmm. runs from like York and Lancaster to Harrisburg and over to Chambersburg, mm -hmm. that you could make an argument that that was the second biggest block of Republican voters in the state. Um, now we we might be rivaled a little bit by Pittsburgh and Westmoreland County and some of those areas around there, but we're still mm -hmm. a, a major Republican hotbed around here. Mm -hmm. Though I have to add that um, just as the the Philadelphia suburbs have trended tremendously Democratic over the last few years, um, we're starting to see more of that um, infiltration of purple uh, in the in the suburbs um, in South Central PA in the mm -hmm. suburban areas around Harrisburg, for yep. example. Dauphin County, where mm -hmm. Harrisburg is, is is actually a, a, a county that has voted Democratic for me, some of me, the last presidential. Let me let me interrupt for, for just a second and bring uh, Eric Poole into the conversation. Eric, uh, Sharon, the Sharon Harold, uh, uh, you are on the western part of the state, right near the Ohio border. Uh, just uh, is is that's where Connor Lamb surprised people a few years ago uh, by winning there. Uh, is is that still a, a conservative stronghold, or is it uh, is it a is it a blue collar uh, toss up area now? Well, we're uh, <clears throat> we're about midway between Pittsburgh and Erie, mm -hmm. uh, right on the Ohio state line, and Mercer County, which is where Sharon's located, is trending has been trending heavily Republican for the past uh, for the past at least fifteen years. Mm -hmm. Fifteen years ago. The, um, the registration was leaning slightly in favor of Democrats. Now it swung complete. It swung almost completely the other way. Mm -hmm. There is um, in countywide offices. There's only one Democrat in the courthouse, and it's it's a county commissioner where where mm -hmm. you have to have a minority party <clears throat> member. So Democrats have been almost completely pushed out of of power here in here in mercer county now in the u.s um, in the battle let me just let me broaden the discussion about the uh, the the u.s uh, for u.s senate uh, primary and let's look at the republican side and the democratic side and uh, there was some news uh, just uh, earlier today charlie on the democratic side why don't you bring everybody up to date it this may not even have made the national news uh but it certainly is big news in in pennsylvania what happened today with uh, your front runner in the democratic primary for the u.s senate yeah um, that's um lieutenant governor john fetterman um who has been uh, holding a big lead in the Democratic primary, according to the polls. 
over Connor Lamb um, uh, announced today that he had had a stroke, and um, I, I believe this happened on Friday. He, he had he had gone missing from some campaign appearances. When I say gone missing, he had canceled some campaign mm-hmm, appearances right. uh, Friday and Saturday, and um, every, the word was that he was sick. But uh, today, the campaign confirmed that he had, in fact, had a stroke and uh, has been hospitalized in Lancaster. Um, the early word from the from the campaign, and actually, in the in the words of Fetterman himself, is that he's doing better. There's no there's no apparent um, cognitive impairment. Uh, he expects to be getting back on the campaign trail and resuming but his race. But it's too, it's too early after, to really... After t- a rest period. But. It's really too early to, to tell the impact that. It, Jan, would you agree with that? That uh, oh, people still yeah, may be reacting to this uh, come uh, come voting time. Yeah, I think it'll be... Uh, I think it'll be interesting. It truly is unfortunate for him. I mean, he was, you know, he had this big lead in his um, campaign, you know, funding and... Uh, and then in the polls, he kept showing up as, you know, the front runner. But you have to keep in mind, there have been um, tens of thousands of votes that have already been cast through our mail, our mm-hmm. controversial mail-in voting system yes. in Pennsylvania. And uh, so, you know, and they're predominantly Democratic folks who requested um, those ballots. So it's, you know, some of those votes are already cast. But Has Connor Lamb I, closed his I, campaign I, or slowed his campaign? Just, yes, go ahead, Charlie. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I I would think that uh, I don't think this has too much of an impact on the primary election because, you know, I mean, it's it's just um, two days away and, and everybody has every reason to believe that he will be back in the campaign. Yeah. Um, but for the I fall mean, campaign, it, it might have an effect. We, we do have to pause, folks. We've got some commercials we've got to yeah. sell. And we'll be back uh, with our discussion in just a moment. Don't go away. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. 
The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Eric Poole, a question to you. Uh, at the beginning of this election cycle, uh, uh, Pat Toomey surprised some people by saying that he was not going to run for re-election. And if you were to turn back the clock uh, to that week, uh, Dr. Oz was just a TV personality, and yet he has emerged as a, uh, uh, as, as a major player uh, before the voters coming up on Tuesday. So where did, where did, uh, where did the Dr. Oz boomlet come from and uh, has it really taken off the way dr oz thought it would um doctor dr oz is uh the most recognizable name on the republican side of the ticket so and that that gives him an advantage and of course the uh endorsement from trump which and the two probably are not disconnected mm-hmm. uh have have given him a number of advantage mm-hmm. have given him another advantage uh, there's also Dave McCormick, who served in the George W. Bush administration, and they've been they've been kind of the front runners the whole this whole campaign and taking shots at each other, uh, which may have created an opening for Kathy Barnett. Mm-hmm. Now, Kathy Barnett, uh, uh, she was surging. She was on ABC this weeks. morning. Uh, uh, Charlie, uh, tell us about how she has just. Uh, uh, propelled her way to the uh, uh, to the top of the heap here, at least according to some polls. Uh, she's the hot property in the state at the at the moment, is she not? Yeah, uh, you know she is, and um, I, I think it's like, um, you know, first of all, um, <clears throat> months ago when people weren't even really paying attention to Kathy Barnett too much, because as mm-hmm. Eric said, you know, the other two were all over the airwaves with their ad campaigns. Um, she um, had made a, a, a mutual endorsement with Mastriano. Governor candidate Doug Mastriano endorsed Kathy Barnett for Senate, and Kathy Barnett endorsed Doug Mastriano for governor. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, Kathy Barnett was probably not as well known um, as Mastriano to, you know, to Mastriano's followers, and so she she got the benefit of that 
probably a bigger benefit mm-hmm. than than he did out of that mutual endorsement. And I think it took a little bit of time for all those Mastriano followers to actually move over to her side and actually tell pollsters and that sort of thing that, yeah, I'm voting for Kathy Barnett. It was a delayed reaction, but she definitely got the bounce. Didn't and, she come up uh, with a video with, and, a, and, with a controversial video that got a lot of attention as well about abortion? Um, are, are you talking about the, the video yes. involving Kathy Barnett? Yes. And her life story? Yeah. yeah. Well, right. And, and that's the other part of it. In addition to the Mastriano um, endorsement, uh, what, what she's been able to do on her own is every time there's been a, a all candidates forum or debate um, that I've covered, and I've covered a bunch of them, um, she's really always kind of jumped off the stage as, as somebody with a very you know, a very good ability to kind of command the room and grab your attention. And um, one of those things is she has a compelling personal story about um, her conception being the the product of a rape. Her mother, she says, was sexually assaulted when she was 11 years old, gave birth when she was 12 to Kathy. Her grandparents made a decision with her mom that they weren't going to abort. And that's why Kathy Barnett is a, a anti-abortion candidate, and she doesn't support any exceptions for rape, incest, or but the overwhel- the But the overwhelming uh, response, and I want to get, Jan, I want you to weigh in on, I know you're covering the governor's race, which we'll get to, but I want to, I want to get your response, uh, just given the way that maybe women have responded to that rather very personal story that, uh, that Ms. Barnett has, has, has brought up. I mean, has it the reaction been that the, um, the establishment uh, of, of Republicanism in Pennsylvania has just gone overboard in reacting, or some might even say overreacting, to her emergence in, in the polls? And they're, 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 they're scared to death that she's going to win this primary, are they not? No, oh, I I think that they they think that I think that um, you know we've seen in recent days uh, stories coming out you know picking apart her military record and uh-huh. uh, Charlie can help me out there I mean her military record and there was one other controversy Charlie her voting record that's what it was yeah. and um, yeah I, I think that you know the establishment Republicans are. I think they're worried in both the Senate race and now with, and I know we're going to get to the governor's race in a bit, but with um, the the former President Trump weighing in now on the uh, gubernatorial race and endorsing Mastriano, he's really rocked the boat in that that race. And Mm -hmm. I I think that people feel that, you know, both Barnett and Mastriano could end up being the winners. And that that definitely has the establishment Republicans concerned. What's taken... uh... Tell us a little bit more about Dan Mastriano and 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 what what's taken so long for him either to take off or get the uh, uh, get the attention of Donald Trump. Hmm. <laughs> well, it was there's several people. It felt like our governor's race was all about who could be the Trumpiest, and okay. um, I think most people felt that all along that. Um, Doug Mastriano, you know, was the most loyal to Trump. I mean, he he definitely was, you know, uh, he's an election denier. And 
Um, he went down to Washington on January 6th and, and chartered a bus. And, you know, he he's, you know, said he didn't do anything wrong there. Um, he's been subpoenaed. I mean, it, it felt like all those things were just kind of to his followers. That was just building his street cred. Right. And um, so it's just, yeah, he's, he's definitely, and now with Trump's endorsement, people felt that that was because, you know, the president likes to get wins. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, promoting uh, J.D. Vance's win in Ohio. And I think that people, that he's starting to get worried that his Oz endorsement might not have been a good one. And Mastriano is looking like in the polls that he, he could pull it off. Yeah. So he endorsed Mastriano. And, Trump, and, and by the way, Trump, Trump is sort of, uh, he, he's trashed Barnett in recent uh, days saying that she couldn't win a, a, a general election. So he's, he really feels like he may be trapped with Dr. Oz. Eric, would you agree with that? Yeah. That uh, if he had to do the Oz endorsement again, he might think twice? Well, Trump's whole Trump's whole um, persona is never to never back down. Right. So he's not he's not likely to turn away from his Oz endorsement right now. And I think one of the one of the clear signs of the Barnett surge is that other Republicans have turned on her. That, mm -hmm. uh, um, but I I think that uh, that he's uh, that he's uh, committed at least as much as he can be to Dr. Oz right but pr now. But prior to Republicans turning on her in the last, let's say, 10 days, hadn't they turned on Dr. Oz in the in the previous 20 days? I mean, he yeah. when, when Trump endorsed yeah, him, there, there was there, not this huge hue and cry. Especially out, out, of, um, out of central Pennsylvania, Cambria County. The... Uh, I saw the, the, the uh, there was a Senate debate in at Grove City College, which is one of the most conservative colleges in the in the country. And Kathy Barnett did a nice job, uh, kind of riding between the uh, uh, the the wreck of uh, the collision between uh, McCormick and Oz. Um, I think, and uh, she. She's been getting some traction, calling them both globalists, mm -hmm. and I. So yeah, there there has been an, an Oz backlash, but he was still he was still leading most of the polls up through the up through the last, do, like you said, ten days. Do all of the Republicans, even those some that we may not have mentioned that are involved in the primary, have have they all denied uh, what happened? Uh, you know, uh, two Novembers ago. I mean, do they think that Pennsylvania was stolen from Donald Trump? Is that a general, well, at least on the Republican side? Charlie? Well, um, only uh, a couple of the candidates, um, you know, they, they, they honestly haven't made a huge big deal out of that in this primary. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe they've, by mutual agreement, understood that it's it's probably a toxic issue for them in the general election and best best to give us some wiggle room on that but um i, I will say this the only i think at, at the debate um that spotlight pa put on that question was put to them and uh jeff bartos said he would have voted to certify the election results in november 2020 and i believe george Paquetto, a philadelphia attorney who 
is really um, kind of on the second rung of candidates here. He's he's not gotten a lot of attract. He's not he's not gotten a lot of traction in his campaign. But mm-hmm. but he was another one that had said that he would have voted to certify the election, and and the others. Um, you know, I I I remember that they didn't necessarily um, come out with with strong denials of the fact, but. But they didn't necessarily um, answer that question. Now, Kathy yeah. Barnett has, she she went on a, a big fraud hunt. After, she ran for Congress in that uh-huh. year, in 2020. And she went on a big fraud hunt throughout southeastern Pennsylvania and Montgomery County in, in specific um, where she lived. So, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, a lot of the Republicans in Pennsylvania tend to kind of package it like this. They like to say, well... You know, I'm not going to say that um, their, their argument is that the process was flawed and mm-hmm. they may not necessarily take issue with the votes as they came in, but they believe that the process was flawed and it's sort of like the Democrats stole it fair and square mm-hmm. by, by things like, you know, the, the three extra days. Yeah. Um, We've got to a pause. Take- We've got, a, we've got to pause. And, and we've got to pa- curing ballots we have, we, in certain counties. We have to pause right now on that. We've got to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about how widespread is that thought? Is it going all over the country? Uh, keeping a no word there. in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact 
of having a shock. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our guests, and we're going to let each of them take a moment to introduce themselves. Uh, let's go first to uh, Jan Murray. We mentioned that uh, she's the Capitol Bureau Chief uh, for the Patriot News and PennLive.com, which is a great, uh, it's a great place to go for all things you want to know about the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But tell us a little bit more about your background, uh, Jan. Well, I am a Pennsylvania native, and... Um... I, I do have some connection to the Midwest. I went to, I graduated from Ball State University. <laughs> I'm a proud uh, Ball State fighting cardinal. Good. And, um, but then I returned to Pennsylvania to work and, and I've been, uh, you know, covering uh, events at the Capitol since 2000. So um, <laughs> I guess I'm now a fixture there, like the statues in the rotunda. <laughs> but, um, and Harrisburg yeah, is, it, is sort of central state, central uh, uh, north. Is that a, South Central, South, South Central, Central South between, Central. you know, if you kind of put it like between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, we're in that yeah. Alabama part that Carl talked about on the bottom. <laughs> Charlie Thompson, a little bit about your background. Well, uh, it's it's uh, pretty similar to Jan's, actually. I'm, I'm uh, from um, Carlisle, PA, and... Uh, you know, still live in Carlisle, PA. So I, I'm I'm a Pennsylvania native and and have been a student of Pennsylvania government and politics since I got in the news business back in the early '80s. Mm -hmm. And um, so most of my career has been at the Patriot. And um, you know, I'm uh, and you're a Patriot, just, uh, <laughs> plugging away. Let's go to What's Eric it? Eric Poole. You're uh, further uh, west in the state. Uh, right on the border with Ohio in Sharon, Pennsylvania, which is uh, uh, one of our affiliates. WPIC Radio has been with us for quite some time now, after many years uh, in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. But uh, uh, a little bit more about your background, Eric. Well, except for the three months that I spent living in uh, Florida in uh, 1971, I've been a resident of Western Pennsylvania my entire life. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been I've been a newspaper reporter for about 25 years uh, uh six months ago i was uh promoted to be the editor of the sharon herald uh i've i've focused more on history i'm uh i'm the author of uh, a book called company of heroes uh mm -hmm. biography of vietnam war medal of honor recipient uh leslie sabo who received the medal of honor uh 10 years ago tomorrow mm -hmm. So, very good. Thank you for um, your uh, thank you for your service in 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 chronicling the service of many people who uh, either gave their lives or certainly gave a portion of it to, to defending this country. So congratulations to you. Uh, as I as I look ahead, we we haven't talked too much about what's happening in the Democratic primary for governor. Jan, tell us uh, who is likely to take on uh, the, the winner of the Republican primary. 
Well, um, there is only one candidate on the ballot, on the Democratic ballot, and that is our uh, state attorney general, Josh Shapiro. Okay. And um, I, I think people, you know, the Democrats are very proud to have him. They, they all got behind him. He's come up through the ranks. He was a state legislator. He was a county commissioner, then became state attorney general. And, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, people say he has aspirations of becoming president. Um but he's, he's not alone. I think is, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's got to win this governor's race first. And um, so it's it's going to be. Interesting. And what about and, Governor Wolf? Governor Wolf is, was term limited. Uh, yeah. Has he endorsed anybody? He has endorsed Josh Shapiro. OK. Um, so that's and, yeah. And that's, his that's his, his lieutenant governor, normally a lieutenant governor uh, moves for, up and goes for governor. But in this particular case the lieutenant governor decided to run for the u.s senate what can you give us any uh, insight into that uh, jan or charlie or anybody well i'll let charlie take this oh i thought i was getting ready to i was looking forward to your answer jan but um <laughs> yeah I, I don't know uh i mean listen john fetterman uh started his uh his first campaign for statewide office was a run for the u.s senate in in 2016 yeah and he did not win that primary um so you know maybe maybe it can be said that that's what he's had his eye on all along Mm -hmm. um he he, uh he obviously got back on the merry-go-round in 2018 and ran for lieutenant governor and won that primary and uh, became part of the wolf team and um you know you know when and, i when i saw him on uh, when i when i saw him when i saw him on uh, television there was an, there was a very nice piece on abc uh about him today and uh i've i've heard the name for years i didn't frankly know what he looked like or knew too much about him but i mean he, he doesn't look like a u.s senator he looks like a professional wrestler <laughs> he reminded me of jesse ventura and all i could think about when i was watching this piece was i was thinking about what james carville said when he described pennsylvania um so he he seems to be out of type with you know a uh, you know a, any poly he's no hugh scott he's no uh, pat toomey he's i mean he's a He's a rough-and-tumble, blue-collar guy. I could see him getting into a, a fight with somebody. I mean, and I say that in a nice way. Yeah. Eric, you well, want to weigh in on that uh, character assassination? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> in the current political climate, uh, being, uh, being out of the ordinary is probably yeah. a benefit to him. Well, but but also, I mean, there's there's a there's a real just in so far as just image and everything else. I mean, the difference between him and and uh, uh, you know the congressman uh, Congressman Lamb, it's sort of night and day in so far as just sort of the way they carry themselves, and uh, we'll see uh, where things go. Well, but listen, go ahead, Charlie. Connor Lamb, yeah, Connor Lamb is is a kind of a you know he was everybody's darling in the democratic yes. party after he won those special elections in 2018 right what happened to him? but um well you know I, I think what eric said is is part of it i mean actually well you know like one of the things that Connor lamb did was he kind of showed they said to his benefit that he kind of showed democrats how they can win in some areas that have been trending republican by not necessarily being the most progressive democrat on the block you know but but kind of being a centrist and um he did that 
But it turns out in a statewide election, it, it seems like if the polls are to be believed that the uh, Pennsylvania Democrats um, are looking for something a little more progressive, maybe or, or a little, I don't know, maybe maybe there's this this maybe there's this frustration with the the gridlock in Washington, and they they want somebody that that's a little more um, less Joe Manchin-y and a little more uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, I mean, and, and we'll, it remains to be seen how that's going to play out in the general election. But but that's yeah. where John Fetterman is on the spectrum. He's a little more of a pr- progressive Democrat. Well, I, and what, he, would well, you ahead. would you also say, would, would you all agree, though, that uh, at the beginning of the cycle, uh, you know, Pat Toomey was sort of surprised that he decided not to run. And then when he decides to run, I mean, you look at the sort of the pedigree of Pennsylvania politics, it 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 comes it's cut from a certain cloth. It looks a certain way. It's it's more moderate. And again, uh, could we could we be seeing uh, the real Pennsylvania voter? And the real Pennsylvania voter is a lot more like Fetterman than uh, you know you know Doctor Oz. I mean, Doctor Oz is a showbiz. Well, what is his background to Pennsylvania? Past, is he, has he passed? Uh, past, is passing through or what? what in the what? In past week. Both uh, Fetterman and uh, Shapiro have come to Mercer County, and I got to I got to talk to both of them. And one of the things they're one of the things they're both doing is they're both portraying themselves as fighters. I mean, for for Fetterman, it's easy because he he looks he looks he like looks a the professional part. wrestler. Yeah. But um, Shapiro has played up his uh, his work as um, Attorney General, uh, running the. Um, running the um the grand jury into the catholic sex uh abuse scandal. scandal uh taking on uh taking on big pharma and he's really and i think they're both trying to take a page out of the trump playbook and portraying themselves as as fighters for the people is it with, with Dr. Oz being being a celebrity, I begin. What what is his background? I mean, was he was he born in Pennsylvania, raised in Pennsylvania? Uh, uh, do, how deep are those roots? Sure, go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's his his biggest handicap. Probably is that he he doesn't have many roots in Pennsylvania. He he kind of it, it's kind of like um, Bobby Kennedy becoming yeah. a senator from New York in the 1960s or Hillary Clinton becoming a senator from New York in the 19 I guess in the year 2000 um he he's parachuted in he 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 did uh he did actually grow up in Delaware um which is in the Philadelphia media market so yeah. there's that um but then uh went to Harvard and he came back to Penn in Philadelphia to go to medical school uh-huh. All of his career has been New York based. He's been at Columbia University as a physician and uh, cardiac surgeon, very accomplished one at that. And then, of course, you know, became the host of the Dr. Oz show, which sure. was filmed in Manhattan. So he's lived in New Jersey, um, northern New Jersey, yeah. is all of his adult life. Um, the other tenuous Pennsylvania connection. And I mean, it's it's a it's a Pennsylvania connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the, enough to get him elected or not, but. I mean, it's going to be something he's going to that voters are going to have to weigh in on. But his wife is from the Philly area, and that's okay. why he likes to refer to Montgomery County as home, and that's why he says okay. that they moved home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, 
you know, he, he probably moved here because, you know, if he if he's thinking about getting seat. into electoral politics <laughs> as a Republican, he has a better chance in Pennsylvania yeah. than New Jersey. Yeah. And again, but, uh, you know, again, I need a 10 second that. answer to this. Is it true that Melania, uh, Melania Trump is the one that really got into Donald Trump's ear about uh, Dr. Oz, that she was really promoting it? That's the question. I do have to wait until we hear your answer after the commercial break. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Uh, question to you, Charlie, is uh, is it true that Melania Trump is the one that got uh, 
the former president involved in Dr. Oz's campaign? Well, um, you know, I, I can't really confirm that, but I, I, I have heard people say right. I, I did a story on the what I called the Trump caucus in this race. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it was told to me that Melania and Trump said as much at some of his rallies that uh, that Melania was a fan. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know if that was. Uh, Is it the relationship between uh, now David Montgomery was was a big Trump supporter as well, correct? I mean, there's a lot of Trump people that are that are very enthusiastic of, yeah, about they, McCormick, and, right? And, yeah, we haven't talked too much about him, but he, he's the other horse in this three-horse race, right. uh, David McCormick, and um, he he is um, probably the the closest thing. If you wanted to replicate Pat Toomey, I, I would say David McCormick is is probably that yeah. um, a little bit more of an establishment Republican, mm -hmm. but. Um, he is running hard on the America first policies of Trump. And he has surrounded himself with a lot of Trump surrogates like mm -hmm. secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, um, and, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, spoke as a surrogate for him. Uh -huh. Um, you know, more recently he's, he's been, he, he had Ted Cruz in last week, but yeah. he's got some other Republican luminaries, but he's, he's, well, uh, he's, he's tried to, um, you know, he, he's got his arms around Trump, too. So. Yeah. Now, he, he, he's similar to the candidate in name of safety at the moment, uh, the candidate from a couple of weeks ago in Ohio, uh, who looked, uh, was a big Trump supporter, uh, was very well, a very wealthy businessman, and, and Trump had said nice things about him, but when it came down to the endorsement, I mean, he, he got kicked aside like, like Mr. McCormick, and uh, up comes either J.D. Vance in Ohio or, uh, you know, Dr. Oz in Ohio, where people made, made the points that, uh, you know, Donald Trump is looking for celebrities to endorse. And uh, Dr. Oz was the closest thing to, to a celebrity that was out there. Could uh, be. Could go, be. Go, going back to the, uh, well, you know, let, let's take a call, folks. I've been monopolizing the conversation. Joy, listening to us all the way out in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead, Joy, you're on the air. Oh, hi. I just wanted to say quickly that um, my son grew up in Palo Alto, California. Yes. But he's a proud graduate of Carnegie Mellon. Uh-huh. So, Very um, good. There's a connection. I visited Pittsburgh a few times and loved the city. I thought it was great. It's a beautiful city. Um, my question is that I'm a um, lifelong Democrat, and right now I'm pretty dismayed about the messaging and how the administration is handling a lot of issues um, from um, the inflation there, how they're explaining it to energy, to abortion, to a lot of them. And I was just wondering at the state level, are the Democratic candidates kind of distancing themselves a little bit from the administration and um, addressing more local issues than um, kind of repeating what Trump um, has been saying? I mean, or, 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 or what Biden has been saying. We, let, let's be honest here. I mean, yes. uh, there are national messages Biden. that are going out. Yes. And, uh, you know, are the people back uh, in the hinterland, are they are they uh, heeding that? Or are they marching to their own drummer? Eric? Um, I, I think they're I think that the candidates I've seen come through on the Democratic side have been working to build connections with the people they, they're meeting. They're, they're not talking too much about um, 
they're they're not talking too much about being you know about supporting Biden. Uh, Fetterman has talked about being being a vote for the Build Back Better agenda in mm-hmm. in the Senate. Uh, but I think um, so. But I think that's as far as it's gone. Uh, they're they're mostly uh, the Democrats I've seen come through are mostly talking about their record. Okay. Is there is there much support for ongoing uh, military and financial support uh, for uh, the Ukraine? Is that still a, a hot topic, or is that something that Democrats uh, would just as soon uh, uh, try to avoid, Charlie? At least at the Senate level, I assume that's not come up at the uh, at the gubernatorial level. I mean, uh, every everybody that everybody that I've seen on on the Democratic and Republican side has uh, has basically um, endorsed what the U.S. government has been trying to mm-hmm. do to aid Ukraine, and they have also said that they do not want to see American troops fighting that war mm-hmm. but um now that what you'll hear the republicans say is they'll say of course it's biden's policies that that probably led to this but mm-hmm. uh but now that we're here everybody likes you know almost okay. everybody you know, everybody everybody that's in this run in this race has has backed yeah. You know, supporting Ukraine sure. with as around, much as we can around the country. Uh, wherever Trump has made an endorsement uh, in a high visibility race, he frequently has made an endorsement in a low visibility race, which generally is like the Secretary of State who's in charge of elections. Has he weighed in on the Secretary of State level in in Pennsylvania? And is that a is that a controversial office at the moment, given the history of Pennsylvania and voting? Jan, well. I would say it, it is a controversial position, but in Pennsylvania, the governor appoints the Secretary of State, okay. which is another reason why <laughs> the Republicans want to win the governor's office so that they can uh-huh. put their person in the the Secretary of State position to you know be in charge of the the next presidential election. Mm-hmm. And uh, one last question: We mentioned at the beginning that uh, John Fetterman, uh, who is the leading, who's the leading uh, Democrat in the uh, race for the U.S. Senate primary right now, uh, recently had a stroke. Uh, it is too early to tell uh, uh, whether or not he's going to be impaired in any way. He says he's feeling fine, and, and again, uh, the voters of the Pennsylvania, well, Pennsylvania will have to decide that. But again, it doesn't appear to be based on Charlie. It may be too late to have an impact on what happens this coming Tuesday, although it could have an impact on what happens in the general election. And if if Dr. Oz were to win the Republican nomination, you could have a heart surgeon and you could have a stroke victim on the campaign trail. That could be that could be a, a draw to the big debates. He could take his uh, t- temperature yeah. every time they get together. He, although he wouldn't be terribly yeah. objective in offering an opinion, I'm sure. Our thanks to Jan Murphy. She's with PenLive.com. Joins us from Pens- uh, Harrisburg as well as Charlie Thompson and Eric Poole. Thank you for joining us uh, from the shared uh, Sharon, Pennsylvania Herald. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to Fritz Goldman. Good night, everybody. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. 
you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.